She Makes Money Moves is a production of Glamour and iHeartRadio. Sometimes you're not going to get paid for a month. And sometimes you're not going to get paid for three months. And sometimes you have to chase down people to remind them that you haven't been paid in three months. I'm Samantha Barry, the editor-in-chief of Glamour, and this is She Makes Money Moves. According to a study by Upwork and Freelancers Union, an estimated 57 million Americans work as freelancers. And for the first time, many say they view freelancing as a long-term career choice. For some people, the flexibility of freelancing might be particularly appealing as life and family circumstances change. But the benefits of freelancing don't come without challenges. The income can be unpredictable. You need to pay for your own health insurance. Freelance life isn't for everyone. Today's guest and her husband have been full-time freelancers for the past two years. While they prefer the flexibility of freelancing, they're expecting their first child soon, and having a stable income is more of a priority than ever. She's currently evaluating the trade-offs that come with consulting in order to figure out what's best for herself and her family. This is her story. My name is Meredith Turrets. I'm 32 years old. I live in Greenwich, Connecticut, and I run a consultancy with my husband doing digital media strategy. We are expecting our first child, so I'd love to have answers to questions about financial solvency and how we can continue to work full-time for ourselves instead of having to return to the corporate world. Before Meredith became a consultant two years ago, she held a variety of nine-to-five jobs in media. She found the work rewarding, but she always had some kind of side hustle. Usually it was freelance writing, publishing articles, occasionally picking up editing jobs, things like that. It's kind of just the way I am, somebody who doesn't love to have free time for better or for worse. When Meredith met her now husband, she found her match in more ways than one. I was working at a digital media company and he was working as a book publisher. So similar, but slightly parallel. And he then moved into more of a digital editorial field like I did. And we started to develop similar skills and complementary skills. In 2015, they worked together on a freelance project for a brewery in Brooklyn. Both of us were really big beer enthusiasts, really big small business enthusiasts. And we really wanted to help them develop an identity and a voice and a brand. And it was the kind of assignment for us where all of a sudden we realized we work really well together and didn't have any quibbles that leaked into our relationship. But we're people who hustle, and so having that hustle be shared between us actually brought us closer, and we realized if we ever needed to work together, we would be able to. By the time Meredith and her husband got married in 2017, they were in a really strong place financially. They didn't have student loan debt, they were contributing to retirement, and they had some savings. They were also able to buy a house in Greenwich, Connecticut. I was used to having a nice salary that would help, you know, with lifestyle expenses and things like that, but also a mortgage, which was something that we knew we couldn't do unless we had a strong basis of income. In 2018, both Meredith and her husband were working at full-time jobs with six-figure salaries. He was working at a student loan startup, really promising, and I had been working for a small business financing startup. 
I believe I was making about 120000 and he was making something comparable. We both had health care, which was a big deal. But Meredith's job wasn't working out. In July, she moved on. And that was an okay decision for me to make because my husband still had his job. We knew we would be okay financially if it took me a little while to find a new job. So I was winding down at my job two days after I decided to leave when I got the call that he had been laid off. He was joking about the fact that there was an all-team meeting totally out of the blue. And he was like, what if the company closes? And we were like, ha ha, so funny. And then 10 minutes later, he didn't have a job. And it was probably the most terrified I've ever been in my entire life. I've never had to worry about finding work. I've never had a partner that's had to worry about finding work. And all of a sudden, there was this big brick wall in front of us that said, you may not be able to pay for your mortgage. You may not be able to pay for your dog. How are you going to get health care? We came home and we cried a lot for a few days. Meredith and her husband went into financial survival mode. We had a vacation planned to a cabin where we'd gotten engaged, which meant quite a bit to us. And we panicked and we called and said, sorry, Susan, we can't come this year. We canceled our garbage service. Our town doesn't have a municipal garbage. We have to do it privately, which is $32 a month. But for us, every penny at that point, we had to look at differently. So it was a lot of reevaluating what we were spending on, but a lot of it was panicking too. The couple's major expense was their mortgage, around $3,000 a month. They had about $15,000 in savings. Meredith's husband got a small payout from his job and was able to collect unemployment. Meredith also had severance from her previous job, so all this helped with the transition. Although Meredith and her husband were worried about their financial future, they realized their situation was an opportunity to strike out on their own. So back in 2016, when we were working to help that brewery start, they had recommended to us that we create an LLC for legal protection, but also to make ease of billing and tax harvesting easier, things like that. And we were really lucky that all of a sudden we had this company that was set up that we could transition to. Both of us had really wanted to work for ourselves. It had always been too scary and we'd always had too good of an opportunity on the full time end with regard to salary. But all of a sudden here it was in front of us and it was saying, you know, jump if you're going to jump. So we decided to jump. More on She Makes Money Moves right after this quick break. I'm Samantha Barry. Welcome back to She Makes Money Moves. Meredith and her husband knew they wouldn't be earning the kind of money they had made when they were both working full time. The first step to sorting out their finances was figuring out the minimum they'd need to bring in each month. I decided that the floor we needed to be at was about $10,000 a month. And it took us a little bit of time to get there, but we both decided that if we could get there, we could cover our expenses and not have to worry about going out to dinner every now and then and really changing our lifestyle to the point where it was putting massive stress on us. They both wanted to freelance, but there were inherent challenges. They were relying on COBRA for healthcare and spending $1,500 a month in out-of-pocket payments. They were also worried about the impact a recession might have on their business. 
They thought that if one of them found a full-time job, they should probably take it. So I saw an editorial director role that would have that salary that I was looking for about 125 with bonus would have been 150 and healthcare. And I applied to it. I'd been applying to a few things here and there, but this one, I definitely put a little bit of my back into it for the cover letter. And I started the interview process. And I think it was about five or six interviews that we had to have to figure out if I was going to take it and if I was the right fit for them. Despite the appeal of a steady paycheck and healthcare benefits, Meredith had some reservations. Commuting is tough on me. Spending time in an office without flexibility is sometimes really tough for me. And I just started to worry that I was going to be losing all of these things. So it was this conversation in my head, salary, healthcare, stability versus, you know, flexibility, freedom, hustle, for better or for worse. And I panicked while I was interviewing. One day before one of the interviews, I called my mom in tears saying, what am I doing? Do I really want to do this? And she said, go through with the interview and you'll know once you do, which I did. And I took the job and it was theoretically a great fit. But I had this nagging feeling in the back of my head that I didn't want to be full-time. And then three days into the job, we found out that we were pregnant with our first child. Finding out that Meredith was pregnant immediately changed the couple's priorities. All of a sudden, you know, even though the child was not born yet, the idea of having the flexibility to work around him and the idea of being able to be there for him for every minute, that calculus just found its way into every kind of rationale I did about the finances and the stability and being at the job. And I just didn't want to have to be stressed by another job. That was a really big decision for me. So I started to run the numbers and figure out, you know, if I were to stay, what I'd make, between my salary and my bonus and the healthcare versus what we'd need to cover on our end with regard to making our lives solvent and being able to to save for the baby. But ultimately thinking about all of those things together, I decided to leave after about a month. I think that one of the things about finding your groove when you're freelancing is coming to terms with what stability really means. So understanding that you're not going to have that same biweekly paycheck with the same number on it every week and that sometimes you're not going to get paid for a month and sometimes you're not going to get paid for three months and sometimes you have to chase down people to remind them that you haven't been paid in three months. And the appetite for instability or the tolerance at least is part of understanding that you're committing to this freelance life. The other piece of it certainly is being good with money and understanding that when that check comes in, a great deal of it has to go into tax harvesting and a great deal of it has to go into savings. And if there is not a great deal left after those two subtractions, then that's what you're playing with. Two years into running their business full-time, the couple still tries to bring in a minimum of $10,000 a month but they typically bring in twice that. 
Although they generally make more than they need, they know there could be months where they don't get paid at all. We understand that we're not going to have that same amount of income every month. You know, business is cyclical and some people don't spend in certain quarters or are sort of checked out either physically or mentally in other months. And, you know, maybe that means not actually getting paid that month or not getting work at all. To be safe, they put a third of their income aside to pay taxes at the end of the year. They also maintain savings of ten to $15,000 and another high-yield savings account of $25,000. They also contribute to a SEP retirement account and work with an accountant. While Meredith seems to have a handle on her finances, there are aspects of her lifestyle she struggles with. The thing that's the toughest is understanding that every minute you spend on yourself is a minute that you could be spending on client work. And when you're not working, you're not getting paid. So that work-life balance in that regard is really tough because you have to take that pressure off of you and say, I'm allowed to watch this TV show. I don't have to be working. But at the same time, saying, well, this work has to get done. I shouldn't really be spending time doing whatever I'm doing. And that's that constant conversation in your head because every minute you could be making money, but every minute you can't be making money because it's not sustainable. Meredith wants to know how to evaluate if full-time freelancing is the right decision for her family. The advice that I'm seeking at this point, knowing we have a baby on the way and knowing that stability is more important than ever in terms of our finances at least, I'd love to know when to panic. So, you know, we have that floor of $10,000 that we want to make sure that we're making every month. But am I setting that too low? Should I worry when we have two down months in a row? Do we need to freak out and have one of us go look for a full-time job? This is the conversation that's constantly running in my head because I know not every month is going to be an amazing $30,000, $40,000 month. And I don't have a barometer necessarily, except the raw numbers that tells me you're in trouble. One of the toughest conversations that we have with each other on a pretty regular basis is what trade-offs are worth it. Both of us really want to stay working for ourselves and we want to have that flexibility, especially to watch our son grow. But we don't know whether it's worth trading off a full-time salary or it's worth trading off the structure that a nine to five gives you, even though it is rigid, because all of a sudden when you're working for yourself, you're working all the time. And so that's something that we are constantly thinking about and needing help to figure out because we would love to stay working for ourselves, but it's hard to know, besides jumping for that absolute dream full-time job, whether or not it makes sense for both of us to be doing this. Today's expert weighed many of the same considerations before launching her business full-time. Hi, I'm Ashley Feinstein-Gersley. I'm a money coach and founder of The Fiscal Femme and the author of The 30-Day Money Cleanse. So let's talk about Meredith. She and her husband have gone from nine-to-five jobs to freelance careers. They're not alone. There's millions of people in the U.S. working as freelancers. What are the biggest challenges they face? 
Yes. And you're 100% right. I think so many more people are working in freelance now. And I think the complaint that I hear most often is the stability with Mm -hmm. the income because you have the ups, you have a big month, and there's this feast and famine feeling that can really happen for you. One of the challenges for Meredith is she knows what she needs to bring in at least every month freelancing. 10K, getting to that number is hard for some people in the first place. What's your advice for them? So for my freelancers, and and this is definitely a goal, it takes time to get there, but to create the stability, a buffer is so important. And I saw that they have a home, they're expecting a child soon, they need their personal rainy day fund, they have a business rainy. So for them, this buffer, I think, is so powerful. And then there's the ability to pay yourself a salary regardless of the down months. And that can provide that stability and peace of mind because all businesses have their there are times where they're really busy and there are times when they're slower. So let's talk about that buffer. We call it the fallback fund here. When people are in regular employment, we say that anything between three to six months of living is your fallback fund. That's just what you should have, easily accessible. If you're freelance, you probably need a bit more than that, right? You, What's the buffer fund look like for you? So I love the three to six month mark for if we think about our personal expenses, but then for them, they also have their business expenses and their salaries. So to think, okay, we're going to do that same three to six months, but let's do it for personal business. When you own your home, you're responsible for anything that breaks. Unfortunately, you can't call the landlord. So just have something set aside. That's a place where a lot of people get in trouble. Something breaks and it's a big expense and having to put that on a credit card or take out a loan. So a buffer for that as well. And then something with Meredith's story that I really resonated with is when we are working for ourselves, we have to provide our own parental leave. Right. And so creating, like imagining what that looks like, what's possible, because it depends for many of us working for ourselves, we're not going to not work at all for that time. But can we build out the funds to take that time for ourselves and what do we want it to look like? That's so important. We hear from a lot of women who work from home and feel like they're working all the time. How can freelancers work from home and not wind up working all of the hours? So for the for the working all the time, it's something that I'm still learning and practicing, but boundaries are really important. We all need boundaries, especially when we we have our work often at home. And then creating, I think so much with parental leave, it's about setting up the systems and plans and like the expectation of what you're going to be doing during that time in advance. And of course, that's going to change because we have no idea what it's going to be like until it happens. So I would say boundaries for sure, setting up the expectation if you have people on your team or you have clients to have those conversations with. And then, of course, the financial component that you have the buffer to pay for everything that you need to during that time. So for anyone thinking about freelancing, walk me through the ups and downs. How do you decide if freelancing is right for you? It's interesting. I've found with a lot of people that I work with, they actually make more money when freelancing because they can command higher rates and they can take on more clients. So I think it depends on what you're doing, but the income that could be a pro or con. The income could be higher, it could be lower. Stability definitely is a complaint that I hear a lot, just the ups and downs versus that steady paycheck. I think some people might underestimate the effort it takes to run a business, even if they're the only employee. There's administrative work and things like contributing to retirement plan. All the little things your employer used to do for you, those are your responsibilities now. 
it's easy when your company automatically enrolls you in a 401k. These are things that freelancers can set up and you can actually, depending on your structure and your income, you can put a lot of money aside for retirement. So the extra step you have to take yourself. Exactly. And most of us don't do it. And we have to create the room because if we wait to just see what's left over to put away, there's not going to be much left over. So I think that kind of taking these steps ourselves, um, having to go out and search and create our own benefits so we can get healthcare, we need to get healthcare, but that's something that's kind of just set up when you have a salaried job. So first, you need to run the numbers, but you also need to factor in benefits. What are your healthcare options? What are your 401k options? Yes. So with healthcare, there are some options. So if you are, you can continue your current healthcare with COBRA for 18 months. And it's important, I think, to know what these costs will be so that we can map them out. And it just gives you peace of mind going into this new business. You could go on like the government site, healthcare.gov, and get your healthcare through there. There are also freelancing unions that offer specific plans for freelancers. And then private insurance is an option. And then with retirement, it's really interesting. So we can put money aside for retirement through our IRA or an individual retirement account. But as business owners, depending on how much you're earning and your structure, you can also open up your own business retirement accounts. So something that I found out that I thought was a kind of cool thing is if you don't have employees, you can have an individual 401k. And if there's a lot of income and you want to be putting more money aside, because you're the employer, you can contribute and you can also match yourself. Oh, that's helpful. (laughs) Yes. So you can really put aside more, but we have to take the time to research them and open them. What's the first step to start saving for retirement if you are a freelancer? So everyone has access to open an IRA and or contribute to an IRA. So in those, you can put up to $6,000 right now. So that's a great option until you want to put aside more. So when you're ready to put aside more than 6000 you can open up a specific retirement account for your business, whether that's a SEP IRA, a simple IRA, or an individual 401k. More on She Makes Money Moves right after this quick break. I'm Samantha Barry. Welcome back to She Makes Money Moves. Meredith and her husband created an LLC. Can you explain to our listeners what that is, what that process looks like, and why one would choose to do that? Yes. Okay. So from the standpoint that I'm not an attorney, but the LLC is a legal entity. So essentially you have options for setting up an entity for your business and LLC stands for limited liability company. And so the idea is that it protects you from liability personally, and you choose based on taxes, I think. So you would ask which structure based on the structure of your income and how much you do plan to earn would be the most beneficial to you and also what protects you the most. What else do people need to factor in? I think the biggest mistake or, and and I hate to use the word mistake because it's really a learning, but the thing I see the most often is not putting money aside for taxes. And because taxes aren't being taken out of our paychecks, we have to put them aside or we're just going to get this huge tax bill that we have to figure out at the end of the year. And then what happens with a lot of the people I work with is that they now owe money to the IRS from the last year and are trying to proactively put money aside. So they're double paying. What are the best strategies in putting that tax aside for yourself as a freelancer? I think it's the least painful if you do it every time money comes in, because then it's not a big chunk at one time. So I'm a fan of having a completely separate account in an online savings account called your tax fund. Right. 
And then you can get it in a almost like a prescription from your accountant to say, every time a check comes in, put 30% aside. But how it works is when you have your own business, you pay taxes on your profit. Right. Worst case, you you have extra put aside when it's time to pay taxes and that now can go towards something else. If you're freelancing and a client is late with payment or their worst case scenario, not paying at all, what can you do? I remember being freelance for a time and chasing invoices that were two, three months old. So depending on where you are in your business, when you're just excited to have a client, you might not feel comfortable doing this, but you can start negotiating contracts with shorter payment windows just for the sustainability of your business. So definitely have a contract in place. You can even set up a structure where there are late fees to incentivize people like that to pay you on time. Follow-ups are important. You can call. Then if it's starting to get where they're not responding to you, you can send a certified letter. Like, I mean business, like you owe me money. And then you can take them to small claims court up to a certain amount. That's not ideal. Not ideal. Yeah, and then, right. of course, right, you don't want to get lawyers involved. That gets very expensive. And then, of course, stop working with them. Yeah. <laughs> what is the What is an average time for freelancers to get paid in this world of consultancy and freelance? That's a good question. I hear everything from 30 to 90 days. Right. And I know that when people get paid pretty immediately and they have a good system set up where it just deposits, freelancers really like working with those companies and often will do more work with them. But I like that. I like that idea of being proactive in the contracts that you sign and having having it written into the contract that you need to be paid within 30 days or 60 days. That's, I like that. That's pretty impressive. Um, how should you separate your business and your personal expenses if you're freelancing? I definitely am a fan of keeping everything separate so that it's very clear what's a business expense, what's a personal expense. And that probably means two different bank accounts. So you're a checking for your business, a checking for your personal, and then two credit cards if you use credit cards for both. And looking for places that have less fees, that have lower interest rates, all of those things are important, especially as you're navigating the variable income. Part of the reason Meredith considered going back to a corporate job is her concern that freelance consulting isn't recession-proof. Are her fears valid? I wouldn't see that as a threat. So I would say, I think there is a false sense of security that we have in our corporate jobs that might not be that much more secure than as a freelancer. Meredith seems comfortable with freelancing, but at the same time, it seems like she's waiting for the other shoe to drop How should she continue to evaluate at different stages of her life if freelancing is right for her? Yes. What's your advice? I am a big fan of having, I don't know, it's not milestones, but thresholds. So I'm going to reevaluate this in three months and putting a timestamp on it and doing that evaluation of the financials versus those subjective things. And then also, I think we all have different risk tolerances. And so it's hard to say if this is happening, definitely get a corporate job. But for her, what is that threshold? Is it my emergency fund is gone? Is it I have only one month of expenses left? Is it I'm too stressed and I'm not enjoying time with my newborn? So thinking about what that line is for her and her husband and her family and what that means for her guidelines for herself when she's ready and then reevaluating every three months, every six weeks. So she really needs to just keep checking in with herself. Do you think that some people are just better suited to freelancing than others? I know people that couldn't do it. They need to know where their next paycheck is coming from. That's such a great question. For sure, it's not for everyone. And if someone came to me and said, help me decide if I should go freelance, I would run the numbers with them. And so you have to take into account what you think you would earn if the earning potential is higher in the short term, long term. 
what it costs to pay for all those things that we would naturally be getting with our full-time jobs. And then all of those more subjective things like, am I going to be going crazy pulling out my hair with this roller coaster? Um, Do I really want flexibility that I'm not able to get in my job? So thinking about those subjective things are often like the deal breaker. When weighing pros and cons of freelancing full-time, it makes sense to look at all the financial trade-offs. Maybe you'll bring in more as a freelancer, but what does your income look like after paying for your healthcare, retirement, taxes, and all the other day-to-day work expenses? Your ability to handle the unique challenges of freelancing will be equally important. Even if your income is potentially higher, the stress and uncertainty isn't for everyone. And if you're freelancing, make sure you're being financially responsible. Set aside money for your taxes and prepare for a rainy day, a rainy month, or even a rainy quarter. To learn more about what we've talked about in this episode, visit glamour.com slash money. And if you'd like to share your story, we'd love to hear it and help you make money moves. Email us at money at glamour.com. She Makes Money Moves is a production of Glamour and iHeartRadio with new episodes dropping every Tuesday. I'm your host and Glamour's editor-in-chief, Samantha Barry. The podcast is co-written and co-produced by Kim Fusaro and Deanna Buckman, with support from Lauren Brown West Rosenthal. Editorial oversight is provided by Maddie Kahn. Christina Everett is our executive producer. Mary Dew is our audio engineer. Recording help provided by Adam Rivers and Fred Santor. Julie Shen heads up business and development of this podcast, and Pat Singer heads up our research team. Special thanks to Ashley Feinstein and our guest Meredith for sharing her story.